This is VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. Now the host of Let's Talk Adoption, Marty Caldwell. Well, welcome to Let's Talk Adoption. I'm Marty Caldwell, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you today. We have a great show planned with lots of interest in this particular topic, so we're hoping that you all enjoy and invite your friends to listen also. Here at Let's Talk Adoption, you have a unique opportunity to share and contribute as a birth parent, adoptive parent, adoption professional, and as an adoptee also. So we want to hear from you. You can email any of your questions at letstalkadoption.com, info at letstalkadoption.com, and we'll answer those questions on air whenever possible. Today, to be the fourth person to email us uh, an adoption question, you will receive a free copy of my new book, AdoptingOnline.com. So if you send in an email to us, info at letstalkadoption.com today, you're the fourth person to receive that free book. Today is our wonderful guest, uh, Patricia Martinez-Dorner, and she is author of Talking to Your Child About Adoption. Patricia received her bachelor's degree in psychology from McGill University in Montreal and her master's degree in counseling from San Francisco State University. She's a licensed professional counselor and a licensed marriage and family count therapist, and more importantly than anything else, is an adoptive parent. And uh, welcome to the show, Patricia. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're so glad you're here, too. And, you know, I know you've written a number of books, um, and I, I want to share with some of the, the, the uh, listeners the books you have written. But the one we are discussing today is talking to your child about adoption, which is actually the number one um, question that people have after they adopt is, you know, how do I go about this now? And um, so we're going to talk about that today. Share with us why you decided to become an adoption professional, too. Well, I kind of stepped into it unwittingly, if you will. I, I was an adoptive parent who stayed to parent my child in the early years and was recruited as a pretty active volunteer. Hmm. The agency through which we adopted created a post-adoption program, which was highly unusual in that time period. It was 1980. And I was asked to take on this post-adoption program since I was a mental health professional and a very active volunteer, so I slipped into a professional role in that manner. In the process, I was providing services in the community regarding support to families by adoption as well community education about adoption. And from there evolved a deep involvement in the advocacy for open adoption, which was being practiced from the early days at the agency where we adopted our children, and the search process, which absolutely reinforced mm-hmm. the open adoption practice. So that was the, the pathway. Mm-hmm. So you were very positive about open adoption. It's oh, worked for you, work for you, and uh, share with us um, some of the experiences you had with open adoption, um, because that's a fear that a lot of people coming into adoption have um, about open adoption and, and sharing adoption with their, their family. Well, my deep conviction is that secrecy is is not a desirable ingredient in any family. And the closed adoption process creates tremendous secrecy and absence of information and lack of pathways for relationships. Mm -hmm. And having been among the early families participating in the evolving practice of open adoption, I was able to see the entire evolution. And one of the things I really like to underline is that The process of of open adoption, the establishing and maintaining contact with between birth families and adoptive families was not done in order to seduce people who are pregnant so that their children would be adopted rather than parented by them. It was done in a response 
as a response to the issues that we were learning were integral parts of the adoption journey, Mm -hmm. issues that affected adopted people, birth parents, and adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. So my working with people who had journeyed through closed adoption through the search process, certainly, I learned so much about the complexities of living adoption and then living adoption with secrecy. Mm -hmm. And the open adoption process allowed and allows families to function like blended families, which is a very familiar concept in our society, that families come together in many different ways and that families face complexities, that sometimes they get along great, sometimes they don't things the same way. Sometimes That's with any kind of biological family. Without, any kind, yeah. any kind of family. And and one of the, the areas of focus for me is to bring adoption into the family of families mm-hmm. so that we are not put off in some corner with special attributes that keep us from knowing one another. Mm-hmm. And because of my involvement in open adoption right from the early days, I am able now to witness grown young people who are now in their 20s who have lived these open adoptions, who have a clearer sense of self, who don't live with mystery, who are able to manage the various parts of their trees mm-hmm. very comfortably and with all the, the various ingredients that happen with families. Sometimes they have a lot of contact, sometimes they don't. But the fact is that there are no bureaucratically imposed obstructions. Mm-hmm. People decide about contact and build relationship as they are able. And certainly we who are the professionals help them whenever we are needed, just as in any other mental health scenario sure, or family scenario. Well, tell me, do you, um, what, one of the things I know you talk about, too, is the um, belief that a child, an infant, is aware that he or she is adopted. It's, it's very interesting. A lot of my consciousness of all of this happened in a variety of ways. One was I read the book by Thomas Verney, The Secret Life of the Unborn Child, Mm -hmm. and that book really spoke to me. It made so much sense that there was a consciousness within that infant still in the womb that evolved during the course of the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Additionally, as I worked with people whose searches I was working on or people that I came in contact were now grown-ups, I would become aware of the issues that they were sharing with me that they said they knew did not come from their adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. They knew that it went further back than that. Some of these related to not even being acknowledged. The fact that because sometimes expectant parents are in such crisis, they have a difficult time connected to the infant within, even as they love the infant within. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that disconnect is experienced in the fiber of the person that is born. I've heard that before. (laughs) It's just amazing how consistently I I would hear that consciousness. And so as, as this whole area has evolved, there has been a greater consciousness of the infant experience, whether he is adopted or not. As a matter of fact, there's an organization that came into being under the, the influence of Thomas Verney, the Perinatal Psychological Association, International Association. And it is a, a, an organization that looks at and, and addresses the issues of the unborn child and the early stages of infancy. So when back then Verney's book came out, there was not a whole lot of validation. There was some mm-hmm. skepticism. But as the years have passed, 
it has been, I think, well accepted that babies do not come into this earth totally blank. Well, do you feel and, they feel grief uh, then upon separation? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. What can you do about this, and what can parents well, do? When I when I am involved in working with families that are considering adoption as as a mutual plan, where I'm working with an expectant parent and with prospective adoptive parents. I work very hard to raise the consciousness of the journey of that child while still in the womb. Mm-hmm. So I encourage the expectant mother to talk to her baby, to consciously acknowledge her baby, to sing to her baby, to do all the things that we would guide any other mother to do. Mm-hmm. We certainly include the prospective adoptive parents, as you might a father who is mm-hmm. present during a pregnancy, mm-hmm. in being present, in speaking, in caressing, in whatever is acceptable to all the parties that are involved. Now, when we're talking a possible adoption, it gets a little tricky because we don't want to create a situation where the the expectant mother can't make a different choice because mm-hmm. sometimes when the child is born, that expectant <laughs> mother chooses to raise her child, and that is certainly something that is important to honor. Mm-hmm. However, if an adoption goes on to occur, then what happens is that when that child is born, the voice of the now adoptive parents is more familiar. Mm-hmm. And transitioning infants from the mother to the new parents the person who becomes the birth mother to the new adoptive parents is really critical. So my advocacy always is do contact communication while the child is still in the womb. Do a lot of preparation for birth just like any mother would. Allow the labor and delivery to be very gentle. Mm-hmm. Have that mother be totally conscious of her child's birth, luxuriate in that birth. Allow the prospective adoptive parents to participate to whatever degree is mutually possible with a lot of respect and boundaries. And one of the things that I have observed is that families that are adopting across states are often required to be in the particular state where the child is born for a week or 10 days. Mm -hmm. And frequently, that is what I consider the most magnificent transitioning Mm -hmm. because they tend to spend time with the now birth mother and the new baby, and they're joined together for a period of seven days or 10 days where the baby is not losing his mother immediately. Mm -hmm. But her voice is still present, her smell is still present, her, her presence is felt. Once that child goes to the new family, I encourage them to be very attentive to whether the baby's not feeding well, whether the baby's crying, restless, whatever it is that's going on. I was quite awed by a mom that I work with, an adoptive mom. We we did all the things that I'm telling you about while the birth mother was pregnant. And subsequent to the adoption, she reported to me that her baby was just inconsolable, just cried and Mm. cried. And what she did is she just walked him, held him for hours on end, and talked with him. Even though he might not have understood the words in the way that we understand words, the the message of comfort Mm -hmm. and, and the empathy that she was validating this little child about his grief was so amazing. It was so attuned to what was going on with Mm -hmm. him. And so it's that kind of thing that that is important to do. And a lot of this work involves helping adoptive parents have an understanding of this entire area, have empathy for their babies, and be entitled to be the parents of the child. Because sometimes adoptive parents feel vulnerable in their role as parents. Mm -hmm. And one of the wonderful things about open adoption is that birth parents help adoptive parents feel entitled by saying, I want you to raise my child. I want you to be the parents of my child. And that entitlement is just very valuable. And I believe that that helps adoptive parents 
recognize and honor the birth mother and the grief of the child. And the whole process is much easier when everyone is in agreement and lots of good communication. That's right. That we're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, Patricia Martinez-Dorner is going to continue on sharing more about how to talk to your children about adoption and what you can do to make your transition easy. We'll be right back. Lifetime Adoption facilitates domestic adoptions of infants and older children nationwide. They have customized plans to fit any need and handle open as well as semi-open adoptions. Lifetime Adoption has a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week birth mother contact line. All of their services are private and confidential, and financing is available. Visit their website at www.lifetimeadoption.com and see their over 80 online adoption family profiles. You can also visit the Birth Parents Seeking Families page. That's www.lifetimeadoption.com. Is Dr. Peter Towns. I am America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. Kevin Garnett, Tracy McGrady, Kobe Bryant. Today, more and more student athletes are bypassing college and heading straight to the pros. Matt Bush, Freddie Adu, LeBron James. Discuss the benefits and pitfalls of going pro on the Sport Mavericks with Ida Moye and Mama Starks every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Sport Mavericks provides straightforward, no-nonsense talk about the current and sometimes controversial topics facing student athletes and their parents today. Agents want to make money. Schools want the publicity. The Sport Mavericks wants what's best for you. So whether you or your child is thinking about bypassing college or looking for the best university to showcase their talents, listen to the Sport Mavericks with Ida Moye and Mama Starks every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Sport Mavericks, smart talk for parents and athletes. My name is Larry Lippman, host of Employee Benefits Radio on voiceamerica.com. I am America's Voice. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling. Whenever you need a soothing voice to call and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. My name is Stephen Chagrin, and I am America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Hi, it's Sky and Denny. Come be a fly on the wall every Thursday at 1 p.m. And you're a guest at Sky and Denny's Cocktail Hour. Hop in to meet the inner circle of business experts, self-help advisors, celebrities, and other fascinating guests as they share their secrets for personal, business, and financial success. Our inside tips will help you be more successful in starting or running a business. Please join us for the cocktail hour every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. This is VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now once again, here's Marty. Well, welcome back. And we're speaking today with Patricia Martinez-Dorner about her book, 
taking um, talking to your child about adoption. And uh, before we left, we were chatting a little bit about open adoption and what people can do prior to birth and afterwards about the grieving process. And now I want to get into, Patricia, um, a little bit about that number one question um, that people are always asking me after they adopt the child is, um, is how they tell their child. When's the best time to tell their child that he or she is adopted? And, and then we're going to get into how to tell your child that at different phases because those are the questions that have been coming in last night and this morning before the show is, okay, I've got a 5-year-old. How do I tell them? I've got a 2-year-old. I've got a 12-year-old. I mean, they're coming in asking different questions like that. So sure. let's go ahead and chat about first. Um, when's the best time, and, and, and let's go from there. My advocacy always is to start from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. In the early stages when you're adopting an infant, I agree. it becomes practice for the parents. You start communicating with your infant, and it's an emotional exchange. The child may not understand the words per se, but it becomes practice. In other words, the, the family can say, I love you, my child, that you came to me by adoption the day you came to me. It was so exciting. And any kind of dialogue that can go back and forth, even with an infant, but it becomes a practice time. Mm-hmm. And then as time goes by, one builds on the story. So much of the essence of this is the parental comfort with the role that that parent has. The more that parents feel entitled to be parents by adoption, the more comfortably they will be able to talk about adoption. It's so much like sex. If people are uncomfortable, the kids know that this is a taboo subject. In like fashion, kids are very, very attentive to how their parents react if a question arises. An example might be when children are preschoolers, toddlers, they typically will ask mom, did I grow in your tummy? Now, I certainly advocate that parents use proper vocabulary. Children do not grow in a tummy, they grow in a womb, a uterus, whatever the word is that the family wishes to use, but the correct word. That becomes a prime opportunity to start, to continue, because we're not just starting there, but to continue the telling piece of the child grew in his or her birth mother's womb, just like every other human being. A lot of adopted people tell me that they feel as though they came out of the sky, that they were not really born like other human beings. And part of the work we have to do is build a normalcy that they were just like other human beings, born of another person and now came into the life of the adoptive parents. I had a family many years ago that said, the parents said that they, they could tell the child that she was adopted, but they couldn't bring themselves to tell her that she grew in her birth mother's womb because they were so troubled and tormented by that. And it had a lot to do with their issues of infertility, that to acknowledge the fertility of the mother was to touch a very sore spot for them or a difficult spot for them. Mm -hmm. So we as adoptive parents have to do a lot of work on ourselves in order to build the communication with our children about adoption. To and that can be done a- right, even before they adopt, I, I believe, and, and absolutely really comfortable uh, ahead of time. I, I think that's really important for people to start early. Absolutely, and that's why anyone that's involved in facilitating an adoption becomes such a critical party in helping people explore and look at personal issues that might get in the way of sound and strong communication. So the entire process of adoption communication occurs over a lifetime, and it's that gradual building block of giving children their stories. By the time children are teenagers, and again, everything is developmentally and personally guided because all our children are unique, and we as parents have to assess 
what our children are able to manage, especially in the area of difficult information. But we're always laying the groundwork for whatever the eventual total story is. So as we begin, even with newborns, in terms of saying, oh, I'm so glad you came into our life by adoption. We're, we're so excited the day you came to us. And, and, and telling that story, this is an easy story to tell that lets children know that it's okay to talk about adoption. Mm-hmm. And so it evolves in building information and sharing information. The wonder of open adoption is that when people are building relationships with the birth families, that they're able to even more concretely demonstrate that this is part of our story, that mm-hmm. these are the people from whom you were born, and we are the ones who are raising you. These are real people. Yeah, and it's really, and I think, too, having photographs whenever possible, I think that helps Absolutely. my children. Um, and um, so I think it's important that people, that the children see videos and see photographs, and, mm-hmm. and there's some wonderful books that you can put together, a whole life story. I know um, Re- Rebecca Robinson um, is one, one of our guests, and she has a great a book for both of her girls on, um, on their, whole, their whole story, and they're their yes. favorite books to read, That's and I right. think that's real important. And, of course, you don't put originals in there. You can make color copies and put them in there so the children can get peanut butter and jelly on them or whatever right. that happens and, um, right. or something should happen to them, but it's a book that they can read all about their story, and I think that's crucial. Absolutely. And there's so many ways to record, as you say, all the way from the time period where the adoption occurs, where the the child is at the hospital, the pictures that relate to that birthing process, the ceremonies that people are able to have when they're able to have them as they join their families. And even for families, and obviously there are families out there that don't have contact with the birth parents of their children, anything that records every step of the event becomes part of that child's story. So it's possible to do that kind of sharing. Sometimes I will have families say, I have a gift for my child's birth mother, but I haven't given it to the child yet. I just don't know what to do. And my guidance is, Give it to the child and let that child know how much that birth mother cared, how much that birth mother loved him or her. And let's not forget birth fathers because sometimes birth fathers are excluded from this entire process. And in my experience, they care as well. It's just that they are in a different place typically when they're not involved in the early stages. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I find that many, many birth fathers acknowledge the children that were born and adopted. They may mature. May mature that's and right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there are many of them that wish to participate in the lives of these children or make themselves available to these children. And so being able to tell the children that they had both a birth mother and a birth father, and beyond that, a whole family tree, mm-hmm. to keep expanding the reality of these people and to give that child a sense of what he's all about with both family trees. So when people, for example, will say, I have a gift, I have a picture, these become tools for communication. Again, expressing to the child that adoption is safe in our family. We can talk about it whenever you want to. And as you well know as an adoptive parent, sometimes these topics come up at the most unexpected times. They do. They, they really do. How often should we talk about adoption? I, I We just make the family... Uh, it's just part of our family, uh, just like our heritage. And That's right. It's not even right. brought up on just on one day of the year or whatever. That's not, right. Give me some examples of, of casual commentary or about adoption and how it can be used in everyday life. Well, it's it's and doing it casually and naturally, I think, is a real key to this comfortable communication. It doesn't have to be every single day, 24 hours a day, but to be able to refer to an adoption issue with our children is a way of giving them permission to talk about it. So, for example, I might say to my girls, 
before we adopted you, we lived in Washington. Or when we heard that there was this beautiful baby that had been born, uh, we were so excited. That kind of thing. Just kind of casual information and conversation that allows those children to know that it's okay. Now, here's another element that I see happens. Sometimes adoptive parents get really emotional as they talk about adoption, and children are watching very carefully, and their greatest fear is hurting their parents or upsetting their parents, Mm. and this has to do with their own vulnerabilities about adoption. Children who are adopted have experienced the loss of an entire family tree, and that creates a distress situation in relationships where they are fearful of losing relationships, and so... The way that this expresses in adoption is that very often kids are very careful not to upset their parents or to accept them, upset them to the extreme to see how far they have to go in order to have them reject them, just as in their mind their birth parents rejected them. And this is all part of those very complicated dynamics. So if adoptive parents are feeling emotion during conversation about adoption, I feel it is really critical to label those tears or that emotion with, I just get emotional, I really want us to talk about this, it's not that I'm feeling badly about it, it's just that I I cry at weddings, I cry when the Smurfs are on and somebody dies, Mm -hmm. I just have emotion. And it gives them permission to have emotion as well during this kind of communication or any kind of communication. And so it goes. Tell us... um, when you're talking to your, your children, too, um, and you're sharing with us, how about other people in the family that, that are unaware of adoption, how the adoption process goes? How do you share with them? Um, because you want to you make sure your child knows about adoption before anybody else mm-hmm. does, and we struggle with this, especially if the child doesn't look like you. That's it right. doesn't resemble the family. So tell us how we can approach that. Well, I really believe it's critical to have our families and friends on board in terms of developing understanding about adoption. They don't always get to the point that adoptive parents do just because of the immersion process, but the more that we educate the people who surround us about issues and sensitize them, the more benefits there will be in our family. I, how I do we do that? Yeah, how do you, okay, well, you, you invite them to programs, you have them read materials, you send them articles, you have conversations. I, I remember in our own family that especially my father had a really hard time with the issues of adoption. Mm-hmm. And we had to go through a very strong educational process to for him to evolve, and he has. That's wonderful, and that's the same thing in my family, too. That's what happens. It's time for a quick break. We return. Patricia yeah. uh, is going to go ahead and share more about her book and talking to our children about adoption. We'll be right back. I like just sitting around on a fine, fine day. Lifetime Adoption facilitates domestic adoptions of infants and older children nationwide. They have customized plans to fit any need and handle open as well as semi-open adoptions. Lifetime Adoption has a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week birth mother contact line. All of their services are private and confidential, and financing is available. Visit their website at www.lifetimeadoption.com and see their over 80 online adoption family profiles. You can also visit the Birth Parents Seeking Families page. That's www.lifetimeadoption.com. My name is Karen Green, and I am America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com 
You like movies, don't you? Yes! 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 Okay, yes! we get the point. You really like movies. I wonder where a guy, an everyday Joe like myself, can find a little action. Feed your movie-going habit by listening to Movie Talk every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time with moviegoer and film critic extraordinaire Albert Montoya, exclusively on Voice America. Unfortunately, no, it requires something with a little more kick. Movie Talk is your weekly ticket into the exciting world of film. Check Albert out live every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com This is Beth Warren, host of Workworld's Radio Hour on VoiceAmerica.com. I am America's Voice. Kevin Garnett, Tracy McGrady, Kobe Bryant. Today more and more student-athletes are bypassing college and heading straight to the pros. Matt Bush, Freddie Adu, LeBron James. Discuss the benefits and pitfalls of going pro on the Sport Mavericks with Ida Moye and Mama Starks every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Sport Mavericks provides straightforward, no-nonsense talk about the current and sometimes controversial topics facing student-athletes and their parents today. Agents want to make money. Schools want the publicity. The Sport Mavericks wants what's best for you. So whether you or your child is thinking about bypassing college or looking for the best university to showcase their talents, listen to the Sport Mavericks with Ida Moye and Mama Starks every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Sport Mavericks, smart talk for parents and athletes. My name is John Jensen, and I am America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. If you are a self-published author or an independent publisher, you know how difficult it is to gain maximum exposure. For the latest ways to increase publicity for your work, tune in to On the Same Page with Maxine Thompson every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time. On the show, Maxine will interview thriving independent authors and give you the opportunity to call in and have your questions answered. She will also teach you fresh and innovative ways to gain more visibility and enhance sales for your book. The printed word has the ability to record culture and make history. Once again, that's On the Same Page with Maxine Thompson every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time. Make your words count on voiceamerica.com. This is voiceamerica.com, America's voice. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now, once again, here's Marty. Well, we're coming up on the uh, last part of our show, the last half hour, and today we're speaking with um, author and social worker, um, uh, marriage therapist uh, Patricia Martinez-Dorner about her book, Talking to Your Child About Adoption. And during the break, Patricia, we were speaking, you have quite a few books you've written. And uh, can you share with some of the titles of the books you've written also about adoption? Sure. I co-authored the book Children of Open Adoption with Kathleen Silber. Mm-hmm. I wrote How to Open an Adoption, a guide for parents and birth parents, and also a manual, Adoption Search, an Ethical Guide for Professionals. The Talking to Your Child About Adoption is also available in Spanish, and it has been a wonderful tool for people that don't speak English, obviously. And I even use it with people that are considering birth parenthood because it helps them look at the issues that their children will be facing. That's great. And where can we buy these books, too? Well, the, some of the primary places would be Tapestry Books, which is available also online, Great. and Amazon, okay. 
and that would be wonderful. And if anybody missed any of those titles, again, we'll have the archive program, but uh, you can go ahead and email us at info mm -hmm. at Let's Talk Adoption. We'll send them over to you, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, before you left, I want to hear the story about your grand your father, the grandfather of your children, um, a little bit about that story, too, because you come from a Hispanic background. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and a lot of times our families do have difficulties in adoption because they're not aware of it. They're used mm -hmm. to closed adoptions mm -hmm. from years ago. Mm -hmm. Share that story with us. Yeah, when we were first involved with adoption, it was really difficult for my father to be really involved and accepting of that whole process. What's happened through the years is that my father ended up translating both the book, Talking to Your Child About Adoption and Children of Open Adoption, and in the process, he really evolved in his understanding about adoption. Additionally, because I do a lot of trainings and presentations, if my parents were in town, they would come to all my programs and sit in the front row and thereby absorb a tremendous amount of information. And that is a wonderful, wonderful tool for all families to include their families in the educational process. Well, when my daughter was in fifth grade, we made contact with the paternal side of her family, and uh, a paternal aunt came over with, with some other family members, and my father said to her, welcome to the family. And that, to me, was just a huge, huge step in terms of processing his place, her place, our place in this very complicated journey. But in truth, the whole concept of being a blended family and that there is room for everybody, that these children can be surrounded by important people in their lives with no exclusion. Are your children confused by open adoption? I mean, people ask me that all the time. Gosh, open adoption, won't the children be confused? And I have not found that to be true, but tell me what you have discovered in that. Well, not only do I work with my own children, but certainly all the children that I work with through my practice and, and other children that I'm just aware of. And no, kids are not confused. They sort out who mom is, who dad is, who the birth parents are, who the aunts and uncles are. It's really quite remarkable. And, and certainly it's very much, again, like the blended family. There are kids out there that are children of divorce where they have eight sets of grandparents and 3,000 aunts and uncles, and they sort it out. Our kids by adoption do too. They're not confused. And actually what happens is that when they are surrounded by both adoptive family and birth family, there are more people to help them communicate about whatever it is they need to communicate about regarding their adoption stories. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been so wonderful in this open adoption journey that birth families become resources for our children. When my daughter was about 15, she was going through some struggles related to her adoption. It was holiday time. Holiday times and birthdays tend to bring out a lot of the grief in our children. And we had this very long conversation about just how hard it was and her place in both families and so on and so forth. And what I did immediately is I called her birth family and said, please, we need to surround her. We need to surround her with that we all love her. We're all part of her family. She belongs with all of us. And it was a huge resource, a huge support. And certainly my family on this side, the, the family by adoption, does the same thing. So it's, it's an opportunity to surround our children with all the family members that love them. Well, you know, and that's important, but what happens when you have one child that has the birth parents don't want to stay in contact and the other one does? Um, oh, we see a lot of that. And what I am always concerned about is that families will say, oh, my child has it, one child has it, one doesn't, therefore we're going to shut it down for all our kids. Mm -hmm. Life is not equal in any family. Mm -hmm. And my encouragement always is to use the family that's available vicariously, to use them as resources for the child that doesn't have that. In our own family, that it started out that my older daughter, Catherine, had access to her original family, and my daughter, Jennifer, did not until 
until she was seven because just the complexities and the grief of her birth mother. Well, then things switched. Catherine's birth mother backed out for quite a few years because of her own issues, and Jennifer's birth family, entire birth family, has surrounded Catherine, and she considers them her family. Mm-hmm. She considers that she has three mothers. Yeah. It's I'm her mother, Gloria's one of her mothers, and her birth mother is one of her mothers, and that's just the way it is. We're all resources to our children. So I encourage people to use that vicarious experience. What happens if a child's conceived with a donor, um, donor a program or surrogacy? What do we do with that situation? Do we tell them? I know families that are not telling their children and others that do. What can you recommend on that? And that could be a whole program right there. But in, in That's right. That's right. I, I believe in truth-telling. There's a wonderful book called Lethal Secrets by Annette Barron and Reuben Panner, and they go through a wide array of scenarios, not judgmentally, but just laying out scenarios that convey how secrets in families are picked up by family members, including the children that are the focus of the secret. And that when we tell the truth, we're able to manage that truth, sometimes alone, sometimes with other resources, mental health professionals or whatever. These are difficult truths. But in today's world, as we become more cognizant of of the importance for knowledge and truth, as we're able to interrelate how it is for our children by adoption and interrelate that with how it is for children who are born as a result of donor involvement, we're able to look at the same issues. And so I encourage families to work within the family as well as with professionals that can help them come to a point of comfort in talking with their children honestly. Does that, does that happen too when, when you and a child's and a product of a very difficult uh, conception? Um, you know, we talk about rape or incest. Right. Um, should they be told um, and then work through that also with a therapist? Absolutely. I, I, I tend to counsel families that first the parents have to come to terms with whatever the story is, that they be accepting of the story because if they are at peace, if you will, with what the story is, they will manage it better with their child. And whatever the story is, it's one part of the, of the child's life. It's not the entire child. It's not even the entire life of the people that we're talking about that might have created the difficult story. And much of this is, has to be done with an assessment of where the child is developmentally. There are children that begin to ask questions that are hugely complicated when they're 10 and 11 years old. For example, a child that perhaps was born as a result of rape might begin to ask about the father. And so laying the groundwork regarding the various Aspects of the father that sometimes the, the mother and the father haven't had a, a long-term relationship or they didn't know each other very well or that the sometimes people do things even when they're told that they, there is no mutual desire to do what is being suggested or requested or enforced. And so we start laying the groundwork so that children are able to start getting a sense of whatever the story may be so when the full story is told... It's not done out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And when I work with families that have difficult information, I try to relate it to other people in their lives because a lot of times families have experienced, for example, mental illness within the family, alcoholism within the family. And sometimes this can be difficult information for families to share with their children, and yet there may be known parties that are more than their alcoholism, that are more than their mental illness. And the children can be helped to look at, well, you see Uncle Ted has a problem with alcohol and we 
still love him mm-hmm. and and go from there. And if he comes to our house and he's had too much to drink, we're not going to let him in. But if he comes over and he's he's doing well, he can join us in whatever we're doing. And so we start teaching communication, boundaries, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and again, not doing it in a way that's judgmental. Especially in talking about situations such as rape, I tend to guide families to assess where their children are developmentally as we lay the groundwork. I also encourage them to read lots of materials. I tend to guide them to authors. For example, Randy Severson wrote a wonderful book, To Bless Him Unaware, A Child Conceived by Rape, and it's one of the materials that I share with families so that they can think about how they would tell the child's story. Lois Molina has written books that include materials regarding telling this difficult information. So what I encourage people to do is to read lots of materials, to talk to different professionals, to talk to other families. In other words, let's build our our resources so that at the point that we do the sharing with our children, we're coming from a pretty grounded place, Mm -hmm. that we can manage whatever evolves with our child. I think education is just the key to, to all of this, and it, it just helps so much. I've got a few more questions here, Pat. I'm, I know we're running out of time. I've got so many questions for you, but I, uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask you another question, and okay. then um, we're going to go into our mailbag. All right. So we'll take this little break now. We'll be right, right. back. Do not touch that mouse. We'll be right back with Patricia. Lifetime Adoption facilitates domestic adoptions of infants and older children nationwide. They have customized plans to fit any need and handle open as well as semi-open adoptions. Lifetime Adoption has a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week birth mother contact line. All of their services are private and confidential, and financing is available. Visit their website at www.lifetimeadoption.com and see their over 80 online adoption family profiles. You can also visit the Birth Parents Seeking Families page. That's www.lifetimeadoption.com. My name is Gavin Jerome. My name is Andrew Sloss. My name is John Jensen. And I am. And I am. I am America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Bill Rogers, host of From Face to Fingerprint on VoiceAmerica.com. I am America's Voice. If you were voted most likely to become a crash test dummy in high school, there's only one thing you could do. Get your own talk show. And that's just what David Jeffrey did. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, Running with Neanderthal is a show that will point fingers and laugh at some of life's amusing stories and blunders. So what are you waiting for? Be the first kid on your block to listen to Running with Neanderthal every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. My name is Andrew Sloss. And I am America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. 
The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This is voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now, once again, here's Marty. Well, welcome back, and I want to share with you that next week we're going to have social worker Luke Leonard on from Family Network, and he'll join us to discuss prospective adoptive parents' um, most common fears about the home study and the adoption process. So you'll want to tune in for that. Today we're speaking with Patricia Martinez, donor, um, Borner, excuse me, about her book, Talking to Your Child About Adoption. And Patricia, before we close and go on to our mailbag, we want to share um, and speak with um, you a little bit about getting more information um, for our children. How can families get more information um, for their children about adoption, about this whole process? For those families that are not involved with open adoptions where contact and information is easily accessed or typically easily accessed, I encourage them to go back to the people that arrange their adoptions to get as much as they can out of the file information. It is not unusual for families to have received certain information at the time of the adoption, but as the years have passed, agencies have become more generous with what they share as secrecy has diminished. So getting that kind of uh, added information is really important in validating the needs or anticipating the needs of children for further information. Additionally, I am having a very large number of families who are seeking to open the adoptions of their children, which means reaching out to the birth families to engage them, to invite them to enter into relationship so that the children can also access more information and, of course, get to know their birth families. And it's a wonderful way to validate and anticipate children's needs. Well, I think that's um, it's something that everyone should look for, and that's important to keep contact with the organization that did your adoption. I think it's really crucial. Um, tell us, your practice is in Texas. Yeah. If people want to um, email you or get more information, do you have a contact number or a way they can do that, or would you just yeah. like them to email us? Did you give us that information? Uh, sure. My phone number is 210-341-2070, and I work with people all over the country. Sometimes I am asked to do searches, and if the information is appropriate and I feel like I'm the right candidate, I do that. Otherwise, the opening of adoptions is another aspect that I'm involved with around the country, and I always evaluate whether I'm the right person for whatever the desired service is. Sometimes people just will consult with me, want to do some short counseling. I will do whatever it is that is helpful at that moment in time for the families that I am being approached by. Well, thank you so much. You've been a great guest. I appreciate all the information you shared with us today, and we look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you, Patricia, for being part thank of our show. Thank you. Bye-bye now. And now on to our adoption mailbag. Each week we answer your questions, and Luann is here today to share some of these questions with us. Luann? Hi, Marty. Our first question is from Brenda in Pennsylvania, who asks, what would be the average price of adoption if you had no special requirements, such as a certain race or sex? 
you know, cost of adoption really varies between um, state to state. In Pennsylvania, your, your home study costs are a lot less than some other states, um, which is, you're very blessed with. And I would encourage you, if you're not, uh, if you're, uh, you don't mention how old a child you are trying to adopt, but I encourage you to contact your um, county or your state um, to find out what waiting children are available. Um, many times our taxes pay for um, adoptions of children that are waiting um, for adoptive homes, and that's going to be your least expensive way to go. And your normal costs can range anywhere from a few thousand dollars to $20,000 or a little bit more on the East Coast. So it's very important that you find out what your fees are going to cover, and you do a budget sheet. And I know in my new book, AdoptingOnline.com, is a budget sheet on there, so you can put down the actual cost of a home study, your adoption professionals, um, getting um, physicals done, your legal work done, that type of work. So it's very important that you know this ahead of time before you jump in and just be emotional. So I would encourage you to, um, to, to look into this, get some books on adoption, speak to quite a few adoption professionals, find out what their cost is, compare the services and what you're looking for. But if you're open to uh, you know, race, especially, and age, um, the cost can be very much, much lower. So that's good. I hope that helps you, Brenda. Okay, our next question is from Alicia in Colorado, who asked, my husband was an alcoholic but has been sober for five years. Could this stop us from becoming adoptive parents? Your best bet on this, Alicia, would be to go to um, at least three agencies in Colorado and ask them about the home study process. And being honest is really wonderful, so I commend you on checking into this prior to putting anything else out. Um, many organizations uh, ask they be sober for five years or clean for five years, but it may be something that needs to be brought out in the adoption process with the birth parents if you're doing open adoption. Many organizations um, will not have any problems as long as you've overcome any challenges, and that could be a, a bankruptcy or it can be uh, some other problems. If they're child-related arrests, um, the chances are very slim. But never lie to your home study person because you want to make sure they know that it will come out, you could jeopardize your adoption and lose quite a bit of, of grief and money um, in trying to do it. So I commend you in being uh, upfront on this. Your first step would be contact some organizations to your home study, see if you can qualify for that. Okay, our next question is from Rebecca in Florida. She asks, how do you continue on with the adoption process once you've been scammed by a birth mother? We want so much to adopt, but we are severely traumatized. You know, my heart goes out to you, Rebecca, and this does happen occasionally, not as much as the media makes it, but, you know, it can be as simple for each person. The traumatization can be um, very difficult, uh, whether just a birth mom changing your mind or an actual full-fledged scam. And many times these aren't birth mothers because they've got great birth mothers uh, that are out there doing wonderful adoptions, but they're people posing as birth moms. And I think one of the first things you can do is to contact somebody in the uh, a therapist that you can work with to get through the grieving and the trust back. Because at this point, what I'm hearing you say is that you're having a difficult time trusting. And um, this is possible. Many people that have been scammed have gone on to adopt successfully and um, are very happy. But this is hard to be able to get yourself back up and trust again. And that's trusting professionals and birth parents and the whole process of adoption. Um, there's a lot of anger to work through. So I would encourage you to work with a local therapist if possible. If not, uh, as our guest here, uh, Patricia Machinas uh, Dorner, uh, had spoken, um, that they do it long distance if needed. But you want someone familiar with adoption and going through the grieving process. And the one thing I can encourage you is do not give up. There is a child out there for you. And that there are some wonderful birth parents that are really uh, sincere about adoption, and you will not be scammed by those. So um, and make sure you're working with a really good adoption professional you've checked out thoroughly. So I hope that uh, that helps Rebecca do let us know how that goes. I think we have time for one more. Okay, Camille from Washington. Washington asks, 
What is an independent international adoption? We've just had two um, guests on the show just recently um, to talk about that, and um, it's, it's not a, um, a common use. It's where you do an in, uh, international adoption independent from an agency, and I um, and many of our guests have recommended this too, is that you go through an organization, an agency that has done um, international adoption has a track record. And the reason uh, you want to do that is because both of the guests that have done independent international adoptions have said they have done it, but if they were going to do it again, they'd be very cautious because you have to know who you're working with because you're contacting an attorney in another country, and there are some scams. And talking about scams, um, this is one area when you're working with an international uh, professional, there's not a lot of recourse. You can't go and sue them. Um, you could lose a lot of money. So before you do anything with independent international adoption, I would encourage you to speak to some qualified adoption professionals, that is, adopt, there are adoption agencies that work um, internationally and um, that have a track record of working in the country you want. I don't think um, you're going to save that much money um, uh, by doing independent at this point unless you have some great contacts. But we do have resources for that if you want to check it out and look at both sides um, by looking back on our show. And Luann, our guest from the other show that did independent adoption, um, international adoption, was um, just recently, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was, I think, last week. Okay. The week oh, before. Okay. Absolutely. Finding Catherine, that was an independent adoption. That was on the um, adoption from uh, Vietnam. Right, and so I think she spoke greatly on that, so be mm -hmm. sure to get a copy of that uh, interview because that was speaking of it, too. Well, Luann, thank you so much for your help today, and um, I think we're going to take the rest of our questions next week when we have more time. We encourage you to send in your questions. And remember, too, that if you send in a question to us today and you are the fourth person to email us with an adoption question, you can receive a copy of my new book, AdoptingOnline.com. And I uh, would like to thank you for being part of our show today, and we encourage you to send those in to us. Remember, our shows are rebroadcast every day. Um, on, um, you can hear them on the rebroadcast. And go out there, have a great week this week, and God bless you. This is Marty Caldwell. Until next week. I like just sitting around on a fine, fine day. You've been listening to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. Tune in again next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. I like you for more than what you do. I love being